0: Family, um, we are going to um, we're going to revive an old tradition by starting a new tradition. And uh, there's a lot of uh, inconsistency in that statement. Traditions are by nature old, but this this has been something that West Ark has always been involved in, one way or another. is is blessing children and blessing the the families and and welcoming the children who come into this church family. And so uh, we had done that for some time. We had done it on an individual basis. But even before that, we had done it as a group. And with, um, oh, look at this. I got a card. Uh, the uh, with, with Alyssa's help and uh, in her role as our children's minister, we've designed a new one. Now, there's going to be a lot of people to bless because we're playing catch up. So this is, um, you know, this is sort of like when you uh, file your taxes and you realize that you owe more from previous years. So that's, uh, but, but I've just equated the baby blessing with taxes. What a horrible thing to do. The, uh, not at all. Not at all. But some of the families being up here with kids may feel like they're being taxed here uh, for a moment. First thing I'm going to do is we're going to make this into a friendly space, and I want to ask our shepherds, and if you have your wives with you who want to come up, we want to bring you up here, and you're going to be our greeters and our welcome. So come on, shepherds. And um, we're bringing their wives up because that just makes them friendlier. And um, (laughs) because we want this, we're we're avoiding the appearance of the, uh, that this is the, you know, loyal order of the water buffaloes, and, and so, now wait, wait, y'all are way down here, you're you're supposed to come up, come up here, oh, there you go, there you go, oh, we're welcome, uh, yeah, yeah, well, uh, the, uh, uh, poor Larry, and, uh, see, it's a friendly space, it's a friendly space, we're not formal, we're just having fun, boy, y'all are going to fill the stage, okay, so families, now when you families come up here, you've got a good place to hide, how about that, see? You're, you're, you are already shepherding and making people feel better. This is great. So these are the people who are just going to surround you with love. So let's, uh, let's begin this. Uh, the first person we want to welcome is Carson Sexton. Carson, where are you? And, and uh, there you go. Come on, Lori, bring her up. There you go. She's not afraid. See, they've grown up a little. It's not just little cradle babies. So come on up there. These happy people want to see you, Carson. All right. And um, Asher Burns. Is Asher here this morning? Is it? Yeah? Yeah? All right. All right. He's got his grandparents with him. They're going to come up. And uh, I'm just, I'll tell you what, when I name them, you welcome them. And uh, since we're going to keep rolling here, we might just move along and uh, I'm going to step out of the way so that Dina can get good pictures. And uh, there's Asher right there. Why don't you all welcome Asher? And Madison Canfield, she was ready. She didn't want to leave the stage earlier. She's, she knew that she was supposed to be up here. So uh, come on up, Canfield family. There she is. See? She's ready to go. Are y- that's right. You get to go up there, Madison. And Gwendolyn Speaks. Where's Gwendolyn? There we go. Come on up. Yeah. And Ivy Keith. Where's Ivy? Where is Ivy? Yeah, yeah, okay. No, okay, okay. And, uh, and we also want to welcome Navy Sandiford. Navy make it today or the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Hank, you can come up too. It's all right, Hank. We, we, uh, the grandparents are welcome. It's, uh, no, no, they come on up, Sandifers. This is good. And, uh, oh, we've got two Tomlins here, uh, Sarah Kay and Isaac. So let's, where are our Tomlins at? Yeah, there we go. There we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on up here, guys. It's the wonderful thing about ketchup is you get kind of a twofer, you know. It's like we'll, we'll, just, we'll just get them both at the same time. Um, Arya, where is Arya? There she is. Arya Pierre. Come on up, Arya. And uh, Jack Walker. There we are right there. Right there, welcome them up here. Hazen Lindgren, where's Hazen? I saw Arista this morning. Yep, right there. Here they, yeah. Harold, you want to come on up here too? I mean, you know, he like see, he's already he, Harold's got the right idea. We're a we're a big church family. A lot of spiritual aunts and uncles around to help out. So, um. Eleanor Moats. I saw Moats family this morning. Yes. Is Eleanor really that small, or just in Maddie's arms? Does she look that small? It's just, what a wonderful picture. I love that. Come on up, Moats family. And uh, Connor was, by the way, Connor was the last baby blessing we did before picking this up right now so he's back he's back to make sure we do this right and uh, oh Rosalie Evans there we go come on Hayden and Jamie I love it people are loving the the baby images and um, hey Barker family come on up here this is Isabella Matthew Braden and Dylan We want to welcome them into our family. Yep. Come on up. And uh, here they are also, Burris family, Kiki and Claire. Uh, There they are, right there. And we've got Morris's, uh, Harper and Hudson. Not here today? Okay. Okay. They're, they're and um, this one, you know, we've got adopted, we've got uh, natural born, uh, we've got all of it, and, and this one's kind of a mix, but um, by the way, if you've seen them on that screen and you've got their names listed in your bulletin, I want to tell you about cards you have there in your pew, and if I'm going to tell you more what to do with those later, but if you feel like writing a blessing for any of these families or for that child we want you to go ahead and write that blessing out that comes from you, and and there's going to be a box out in the foyer where you can put it. Or you can give it to me, or better yet, give it to Alyssa, and we'll manage that and get that to the families. So, hey, shepherds, do you feel blessed? (laughs) And families, we want you to feel blessed. Brent, would you come and lead us in the prayer of blessing for these um, newest additions to our family?
1: Elders and wives, if you want to place your hand upon a child or a, a parent as we pray, let us all pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we praise and thank you for the precious little lives of our newborn babies, our little toddlers and the young children, knowing that each one is, a spe- is special to you and was known in your heart mm-hmm. even before conception. Mm-hmm. We thank you that you have planned every day of each of their lives And we praise and thank you for the special plans and purposes you have for every single child. We pray your loving protection over all of these children and their families, and pray we as a church family here at West Ark will help each child to know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. We're incredibly grateful as we sang this morning that when we hold our little babies, our children in our hands, that they all can face uncertain days because because you our Savior lives. Help us all to show to our children the hope that we have that is only found in Jesus Christ. Give our parents and grandparents and all who are connected with our children in any way the wisdom and grace to care for them in a loving and secure environment. Lord, we pray that you would bless these precious children with health in every area of their development. And we praise and thank you for how you have provided guidance to our new parents and our parents who have opened their arms in adoption. Father, words are not enough to tell you of the love and adoration we have for our little children, and we eagerly look forward to watching them grow in stature and in the Lord. Help us as a church to pray, support, and encourage all of our parents along their journey of parenthood. Father, you are truly a great God, and we give you all honor and glory and praise. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank
0: you families for being a part of this church family and for being up here. Thank you shepherds and wives for blessing them. Thank you all. You're Um So I mentioned a card that you have there. This is your way to write a personal blessing to some of these families and uh, maybe even to the child and the family will keep that with them and uh, in years to come that will be something that they keep close to to them and they remember that there is a church family here that that encourages them. It's very similar to what we do with the graduating seniors when we write notes in the Bibles that we give to them. the reason why we did not do Bibles at this occasion is because many of the kids can't read yet. And, um, and also because we know they're going to get a lot of Bibles in years to come. But this card might be something that they could place in those Bibles to come. So you'll see a card that looks like this. It says to and from, and then you write your blessing there. Now, we're going to get those back to those families and even the ones that weren't here. And there are some others that we want to mention as well. They're part of our extended church family. During this time period, the Tigner family have uh, welcomed two new children into their family. That's Samuel and Rosemary. So one of the ways that we could encourage them is if you wrote a blessing for the Tigners. And by the way, if you need more than one card, um, just grab one before your neighbor gets it uh, next to you. Or I do believe there's more cards out there. Buy the box out there in the foyer. Um, Another new child in our extended missionary family is Emerson, uh, the child of uh, John and Michael Carson. And so we want to welcome her as well. And we can encourage all of them by writing these blessings on this card. So uh, if you have any questions, you can ask me or you can ask Alyssa. She's right down here. She'll be out there in the foyer, I'm sure, available to you. But what a wonderful ministry this is. Uh, As we welcome these children into the beginning of learning about Jesus and learning what it means to be God's children Why do we do this though? I mean seriously, we just took up 15 minutes And then this guy up here has still got to preach what's going on here? Why do we do this? You know, maybe we're just doing it once a year, but seriously why? Well, there's an answer to that The answer is because we believe that life is sacred And that's not a small statement. We don't say that life is sacred simply for political reasons. No, we we say it for more than that. And we know that the, the, the statement, a matter of life and death, is often used in a cliche sort of a way to add drama to something that doesn't necessarily need that drama. But when you think about it, when we're saying that something is a matter of life and death, we are saying that it is of utmost critical importance. I want you to imagine that we're taking a test today. You're being asked to respond for and against. Just imagine this test. And in this test, uh, people are, uh, whoever's giving this test or on this test, you're being asked to, to state Whether you are for or against abortion. Whether you are for or against euthanasia or mercy killing. Whether you are for or against capital punishment, the death penalty. Whether you're for or against lethal force in the line of duty or the use in the military, whether you're for or against killing in self-defense. Now, these are more than just controversial issues. They are matters of life and death. And right now, I don't want you to even be concerned about your for or against answer to each of those, and we could go on with others, but I want you to stop and think, how did you get your answers? Where did your answers come from? Or even if you were thinking, well, I I don't really know where I'm at on that. Okay, well, well, why not? Is there something else that has made the issue more complex? And I understand some of them can be complex issues. But how do you get your answers? Before we take such a test, we need to ask ourselves, well, where do we get the idea that life is sacred? What's the basis of your thought and behavior? And the instant answer, the Sunday school answer is to say, well, we get it from the Bible. But where in the Bible? And what in the Bible? And what is it in the Bible that tells us as a people that life is sacred? One of the things we may not notice is all of the stuff that we're breathing in from our culture. You know, you and I breathe in stuff all the time. We don't even know what's coming in there. There's more than oxygen. There's all kinds of stuff in the air. Right, Aubrey? Can I have an amen? There's all kinds of stuff in the air. Aubrey's our allergist, and uh, you know, the, uh, but culturally, we also have contaminants in the air, and we breathe it in sometimes, and it becomes a part of us, and we're not even aware of it. Here are some statements you've heard, and I want you to understand that these work against life, and uh, they actually come to us in kind of ordinary ways, but they represent things much deeper and dangerous, Yeah, have you ever uh, heard anyone say, well, we're just intelligent animals. And I'm not talking about atheists and evolutionists, but even us, we can, I mean, how many of us sometimes stop and think, you know, we're just really just animals, just like everything else. I mean, there's all these categories of life and there are certainly not plants, not most of us. And so we're, but but we're animals and, and that's what we are. We're just intelligent animals. You know, what informs such a statement as that is that human life and its value has been reduced to biological terms. Use news, you lose. You might be thinking, hey, wait, that's just something I say to my friends. I'm like, yeah, but what does it mean? It means if you're not paying attention, if you're not active, then I'm going to be better than you, I'm stronger than you, I'm more fit than you, and so I get to survive and you don't. The concept of survival of the fittest has really not been around that long in human history. But it has become so embedded and accepted in our culture that we sometimes operate on the principle of survival of the fittest without even realizing it. And we'll do it socially. Have you ever thought to yourself that certain people are a drag on society? Hey, as I'm doing this, I'm actually convicting myself of this. I'm like, wow, yeah. A drag on society. That is a representation of a much more dangerous philosophy that's often called social Darwinism. When Darwin came up with the origin of species, he never had in mind that this would apply to social situations, that this would apply to civilization, It was all biological. But since then, we have accepted the idea that some cultures and some people are more fit to survive than others. And in fact, not only uh, is that natural, we sometimes embrace it and manipulate it. And sometimes we do it in the name of our own good. How about the idea that being spiritual is personal? That's very personal to everyone. It's just just personal. And it's immaterial because the spiritual is that stuff that operates in the psychological or the internal realm and you can't really touch it. That's not the biblical story. In the biblical story, things that are spiritual are very real. The resurrected Jesus, they they see the wounds in his hand and in his side. He's eating breakfast with them. He's asking them for a piece of fish. He's tangible. He's material. He's beyond material, but he's still material. There is a resurrection body. The creation is the beginning of God's action in this universe. And he creates a material world with spoken words. Now, the spiritual is more than personal. It's something that we own collectively. And it's very much more than real. Yeah, this one came up in politics a few decades ago. It's the economy, stupid. You know, we were told that. But every time that we're told that the economy matters and the economy affects things, we turn the economy into a false god. That when we as a church say, well, you know, it's going to be hard to do things because we're not sure if the economy is good. Well, the economy might be bad, but God is good. And if God is good, then we can do what God wants us to do. And when we look at everything through an economic lens, we begin we placing monetary values on things. And we begin to wonder, you know, how much money does it take to keep a person on life support? How much money does it take to keep people in a nursing home, in a vegetative state? How much, how much money does it take to fund an unwanted pregnancy? And you see those economic values creep in and they supplant God's value. I'm just pointing out that these things are in the air that we breathe. And there's probably some others. But these are some of the the, the most prominent. Instead, when you look at Scripture, you find out that God really likes life. He's he's into the whole business of life. Not just creating life. It's, it's, uh, it's a, it's a deist view and deism is a philosophy that God gets everything started and then the rest of it runs on biological terms. And we're all just kind of, you know, kicking around doing, doing whatever, figuring out how God wound this thing up and keeps it going. But, but that's not the biblical story at all. Instead, what you see is you see God actively involved. He, he, he loves life and, um, we are not capable of determining the value of human life. If you get nothing else today, I want you to hear that. You and I have elevated ourselves to the level of God in an inappropriate way when we decide that we can determine what is a human being and And what a thriving human being looks like and what the value of human life is and that some lives are are better than others. That's not our place. And when we do things like this baby blessing, when we do things like night to shine in February, we are celebrating life on God's terms and we are resisting the cultural urge to say, well, some lives have more quality than others. God declares that human life is sacred. It gets its sacredness and its consecration from him through his action. I want to show you a few ways that this happens throughout scripture. First of all, it's because God is the creator. All life has its origin in God. Here in Genesis 127 and um, the... the um, Genesis tells us the narrator of Genesis says that that when God creates it this is told in in richly poetic and meaningful terms that there is this is spiritual this very real creation is spiritual God created humankind in his own image in the image of God he created them did you notice that he says that twice and says it in both directions this is like the distributive Property of the image of God. Two plus two is four, and four equals two plus two. God creates humankind in his own image. In his image, he creates them. There's something about God and human life that, that reflects, uh, human life reflects God's divine nature. And then he says, male and female, he created them. Why do we have to have that statement? Is, is this God's first uh, you know, attempt at gender equality? Well, there's something to be said there for that. But it's much more than that. This is because God loves life so much that he wants more life. So male and female, he created them. And the next thing he tells this male and female created in his image is, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. God wants more life. He's the sustainer in addition to the creator. He keeps this going. He takes care of it. You know people who adopt a pet animal and then they neglect it? You know, have you ever met someone like that? Maybe you're convicted of that. Don't worry. I'm not going to call you out on that sin today. But, the, uh, but you know, when you do, you've got to understand, okay, I, I can't just create this or bring this into my home. We've got to take care of it as well. Well, God knows how to do that. Psalm 104 is one of my favorite psalms. Because in Psalm 104, the psalmist has taken the creation story and set it to music. And there's a, there's a hit song here in Psalm 104 about how the creation now is something that we can sing about. And around verse 27, the psalmist says, All these uh, creatures and, and, and critters and things in the world that you've made, Lord, they all depend on you to give them food as they need it. And when you supply it, they gather it, and you open your hand to feed them, and they're richly satisfied. But if you turn away from them, they panic. When you take away their breath, they die and turn to dust. But when you give them your breath, life is created and you renew the face of the earth. Here, God is the sustainer. He keeps this life going. He's actively involved in it. He's not absent. God likes life. He likes it so much that he's willing to stand up for it and defend it. One of the things that grieves God after the creation is that there's a lot of violence in the world. It starts with Cain and Abel. That when Cain murders his brother, God finds himself in a quandary because... His his love for life compels him to act in justice on behalf of Abel, whose blood has has spilled onto the ground. And and yet his love for Cain allows him to show mercy to Cain. But this, this cycle of violence and bloodshed, of revenge, becomes a problem. And it grieves God because the culture of death, is overcoming life in his created world. So God starts again with the flood and with, with, with Noah, and this time with the new family, with the, the new creation, Noah and his family, there's a covenant made, a promise made, that we're not going to go back to the death-dealing ways of violence and revenge. Spoiler alert, it still happens, okay? But that don't worry, when we get to Redeemer and Savior, you're going to see how this is managed. But God in that covenant with Noah says whoever sheds the blood of a human by humans shall that person's blood be shed. Why? For in his image God made humankind. There's something about killing another human being that is like killing our God and creator. Again, this will come up in Redeemer and Savior. But God defends life. Now, This is not the um, the boilerplate or the, the proof text scripture that says we must do capital punishment. Mercy and grace enter into the story. Again, wait for it when we get to Redeemer and Savior. And it even shows up before that. But this is much like Jesus saying those who live by the sword will die by the sword. That when human blood is shed There's a price to be paid for that. Not a legal price even, but just sort of a cosmic balance of things where God cares so much about his image being destroyed in his creation that he knows it's going to get out of hand. It's almost as if God is giving a warning to Noah and his family in that covenant to say we don't want to go back and do what we did. Remember how we got to this place. Places like um, Dachau and Auschwitz still stand today. These are the places where groups of Jews were exterminated because of the, the culture of death doctrines of National Socialism in World War II. They stand now and their purpose is to say, we do not want to go back to this. We don't ever want this to happen again. This covenant statement in Genesis 9 is the same thing. That blood and the life that's in the blood is precious. And so God defends it. Well, what what does that mean for you and I then? What does that mean for us? It means that God is giving us a responsibility to join him in the defense of life. Not simply the violent defense or the defense with force, but the defense in every way imaginable, even with mercy and grace. Here's another one of my favorite psalms. Write this one down, Psalm 82. This, this, okay, I know this is kind of cheap, but this is what I call the Batman Psalm, okay? I'm saying that to get your attention. Because here God is calling on us to be the hero. He's inviting us into the, his, the heroic quest to defend those who can't defend themselves. That God is rather upset by those who practice evil, who practice wickedness. God is so defensive of life and protective of life. And like a just and heroic God, he is concerned about the use of violence. Especially when the fight and the struggle is not fair and those in power take advantage of those who are weak. God opposes oppressors. Don't think that God's neutral on this. Don't think that because God has given us or anyone else privilege and power that other people have to be okay with that. God has An expectation of us as the most powerful in all the universe to stand with him to give justice to the weak and the orphan. Maintain the right of the lowly and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy and deliver them from the hand of the wicked. When we brought the adopted children up here, we're practicing that. You see, we don't have to use force, we can use love. When all of us stand with the families that adopt these children, we're doing this. In what ways are you called in your life to be a defender of life, just like God? You know, he stamped his image in you, so he's equipped you to do this. So what about that injunction, though, that blood requires blood? Well, this is where God actually steps into the equation. And gives of himself. Paul's writing to the Ephesian church, and there in his preamble, he's just he's just on a a run of praises. He's he's giving glory to God, and he says, We praise God for his glorious grace. He's poured out on us. On we who belong to his dear son. God is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Sometimes this this moves just past us and we don't even notice it. That when God is is valuing life so much that whoever sheds blood, whoever uh, is guilty... That their blood needs to be taken from them. How are we going to end this whole mess of revenge? God says, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll satisfy the blood guilt. And through his own son he does this. And and Paul in Ephesians, the amazing thing he says is he says, God didn't do this because he had to. God didn't do this grudgingly. God did it because he wanted to. Because it pleased him to do that. Because he's restoring life and he's overcoming death. That's what it means to be a redeemer, to win things back. And that's why God is also Savior. This verse, which might be so common, or you know what? Today could be the first day that someone here actually hears this. Consider it. God loves the world. He loves life. He loves your life. He loves you. How do we know that? He gave his one and only son. And everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Now, understand what's being said here. God doesn't want anyone to die. Some of us come here Sunday after Sunday, or maybe you've lived your life, this is the first Sunday here, and you're thinking, well, God, God doesn't want me to live. God probably wants to uh, send me to hell because of all the bad things I've done. And I'm telling you that because of what God did in Jesus Christ, that's absolutely not true. God wants you to live because He loves you and He loves life. And in fact, His ultimate goal and vision for all of us is that we have eternal life. Accepting God's gift of salvation is not something that we have to work really hard at and earn. It's something that's being handed to us if we will accept it. And that's when it changes us. Because if somebody says, well, wait a second, preacher, are you saying then that anybody can be saved and then it doesn't matter what we do? No, I'm saying that God will save everybody and that's going to change who we are. Because once you realize that He's saved you now, you have to ask, what's He saved me from? What's He saved me for? And what if instead of breathing the contaminated air of our culture, we start to breathe the air of the gospel? Because in the gospel, God takes an instrument of death, the cross, and he turns it into an instrument of saving life. And that symbol's been forever changed. Do you know that without the gospel, the Roman cross would be a symbol like the skull's head? It would be a symbol... Like the hangman's noose, it would represent death. But it represents death being consumed by life because of what God did in Jesus Christ. You and I are new creation. You know, here's the thing. As as this year goes on, as this week goes on, as today proceeds, I want us to understand a few things. Number one, life is much more than 98.6 and breathing. Okay? Okay? There's much more to life, to God's life than that. But furthermore, there is more to life than, well, God wants to save me, so I better do what he says and follow that instruction. And now, I guess I just got to wait around so that I don't burn in hell when I die. If that is the, the total of our Christian life, then we've missed something. God has much more in mind for you than fire insurance, okay? He has a new life, a new creation, where the image of God in you comes to life. And just like we see all these little babies that come up here, and we we don't know what they're going to become. We don't know how they're going to grow, and we have the greatest of hopes for each and every one of them. God has hopes for you in the same way. And he wants you to breathe the breath of new life, Here's Paul's statement of it. Paul got this. Paul thought that he was following God. Paul thought that he was just fired up and radical for God and he could keep every law and he knew the truth and he knew scripture. And then Jesus knocked him off his horse. Jesus knocked him down and said, you, this is my paraphrase, you are an agent of death, not life. And so Paul is transformed. At that point, and he becomes God's vessel. He becomes he becomes God's. He, he learns what it means to be the new creation. And here's Paul to the Corinthian Christians, and he says, "You know what? From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Don't look at the little children from a worldly point of view." As our kids are growing up here and they bumble around and they make us aggravated and they do things they shouldn't do, and then they do brilliant things and we just think that they're the most precious creatures on earth, still, all in all, we've got to take all of that and we've got to realize we can't look at them from a worldly point of view. In all of that, we have to look at them as God's creation. When we come together for night to shine, and our kings and queens are people that are often overlooked, even pitied by the world, but instead, we're going to look at them and we're going to say, you know, some, there are some people in this world that would say they are not fit to live. It's happening, church. It really is happening in this world. There are laws in some countries where people are eradicated because they don't. It, it, you know, that, that stuff didn't end in Nazi Germany, I hate to tell you, but it's still around. And instead, we're going to look at them and instead of pitying them or feeling sorry, we're going to say, you know what? We don't look at anybody from a worldly point of view. And when we look at one another and even when you look in the mirror and you see your life and you think, oh, I've messed up so bad. I've just made a wreck of my life. Don't regard anyone from a worldly point of view. Because we could regard Christ that way. And Paul says, though we once regarded Christ in this way, do you hear what he's saying? He's saying he looked at Christ as a liar. He looked at Christ as a... as a a charlatan, and he was out there to kill the Christian movement. He says, no more. If anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come. The old one is gone. The new one is here. And you can read 2 Corinthians 5, and you can see what he's doing with that. Paul began to understand what it really means to talk about matters of life and death. And, church, I want you to know that as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a divine appointment And we have a responsibility to resist the forces of death and desecration. That which would make the sacred not sacred. And I'm calling you to hear God's call to join him in that. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask that you will be with us today to breathe the air of the new creation. To breathe the life of the new creation. Fill us and sustain us with your creative spirit so that we may champion not just the cause of life, but the cause of life as you define it, as you make it sacred. Life that is eternal and empowered and sustained by your Spirit. Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If anybody needs encouragement today, we'll have shepherds down here or in room 100 right out there. Let's, uh, come and let us know while we stand and sing.